Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to Two Pints of Maggots and a Packet of Hooks, the fishing podcast. We are now in the grips of autumn as I currently speak to you. Now the wind is blowing an absolute hooli outside. The leaves are changing colour, but that has not stopped the fish biting. As I look through the weekly magazines and also the monthly ones, we can see that there are tons and tons of fish still being caught. And also lots and lots going on on the tackle front. Uh, On the last episode, I was surprised that there seemed to be very, very little action in terms of new launches, given that we're at that time of year, perhaps where there are going to be trade shows and there are going to be some launches. Well, we can see that those things are taking shape. Uh, Preston Innovations have made a huge uh, launch um, out into the media and across social media as well. So we'll take a little look at some of the stuff that those guys um, are going to be launching very soon, as well as the other stuff that's caught my eye on the Tackle Shop shelves and, of course, online as well. And anything that I've been using and come across that I think have been very, very useful and may be useful to yourselves also. And in the big chair for the big chat, we have got Alex Doherty. Many of you will know Alex. If you visit over to Lindholm Lakes there um, near Doncaster, you'll see him there behind the tackle shop serving you your bait and giving you tips and tricks he's also the resident coach there at Lindholm Lakes as well so we've got a good opportunity to talk about the complex and talk about some of the tips and tricks that he uses there but also of course understand uh, Alex's angling career and what got him to be the goldenrod champion so without further ado let's crack on with the press pack Okay, let's dive straight into the press pack. And it's actually going to be quite short and sweet on this episode because um, normally we look through the features in the monthly mags and anything in the weeklies as well. And we, we sort of highlight some interesting articles, tips and tricks that the experts are passing over and, and sort of point you in the right direction as you know what might wet your whistle in terms of having a little read and a peruse. But um, this time around, I think there's a few or or two specific stories that are pretty disturbing, if anything. And I wanted to focus on them, um, really. Um, Looking at this week's Angling Times, one thing I did notice as as I flipped through the pages was, of course, Predator Season has kicked off with a plum. That is for sure. Headed up, really, by a fantastic fish. doesn't say the venue, just says a Wessex River, but a guy called Nathan Edgell, 31 pound, 10 ounce pike. Brilliant. Loads of double fish coming out here then everywhere. And we expect that as the um, as the weather starts to get cooler and uh, the predators start becoming more and more active and, and putting on weight ready to spawn. 
sort of late winter, early spring. So that's good for those anglers that, that listen into the podcast who maybe pack away the course gear, the match gear um, throughout the colder months and then switch over to a bit of predator angling. Um, it could be the time now to start thinking about making that switch. Um, but the two stories I was, I was alluding to, the first one has been all over the national press and that is around this, I guess, a vote from the government and the House of Lords uh, around the discharge of raw sewage into our river systems and and, um, natural waterways. Now, for the commercial angler, you probably initially think, well, it doesn't really affect me. I don't go on the rivers, don't do this, that and the other. But think about some of these big, well-known commercial match venues all over um, England, certainly, and the amount of natural water courses that run very close by, uh, which if this was to go ahead and was allowed, my understanding, reading between the lines, and there's been lots of different articles and, and sort of news stories on it, but essentially it's something to do with um, a supply chain issue, like everything it seems right now. Uh, I think it's a phosphate that um, the water companies usually use to break down sewage. And because that is lacking in supply, they've asked for a dispensation to essentially allow raw sewage into our waterways, which is utter hypocrisy where you've got a government that's forcing this green agenda which we know it's needed but whether it's being done the right way i'm not too sure you know get rid of your gas boiler have a heat pump you know make sure your home's insulated all at your own cost etc etc you know get rid of your combustion engine car and, and you need to have an electric one by x year and fuel prices rising like crazy, petrol prices almost driving people off the road, if you pardon the pun. So all this is going through and there's no help from the government. There's no tax relief on any of those items. Um, And then they, they potentially would allow this, which I find truly, truly disturbing. Now, the Angling Trust lobbied their members to for, for in turn asking the membership to then lobby their MP. I certainly did. I dropped my MP a note to say, you know, how on one hand can you say that we're <laughs> we're leading the way on saving the earth and on the other hand, allowing our water companies to put, you know, to allow raw um, affluence into uh, our water system. So it's complete hypocrisy. But um, not just the, the, the Angling Trust, of course, many, many different environment groups have, have really sort of rallied round on this and worked together and there has been a bit of a u-turn by the government i think that it was pushed back in the house of lords and, and it's to be discussed further in the house of parliament which means for now there's a little stay of execution in that um these companies can't just do what they wish right now so i, th- I think that's a real real worrying sign that you know after all these years of hard work cleaning up our water systems which are still highly polluted in many respects um just the fact that you know perhaps a flick of a switch we're short of a of a of a product oh okay you know do what you want to do it's just not on whatsoever so we'll watch that uh, very very closely with interest as it as it plays out so in terms of these commercials which i just mentioned a minute or two ago i can think and reel off a number of venues that you know you may well fish that very, very close to these types of venues. So Mavel Arford, you know, it's got the River Seven running by. It's uh, flooded into the lakes many, many times. So imagine if there was sewage in that respect. Um, Barston has river uh, running right by the side of it. So that's a couple of Midlands venues. Um, I can think of 
numerous ones um, in my area because I'm surrounded by drains and dikes and, and, and there's enough problems with, you know, sort of over abstraction and, and sort of phosphates off the farm fields. But that, that's nothing like this raw sewage that's being discussed um, there. You know, the Trent, I can think the A1 pits, which are just literally um, across you know, a field away, they regularly flood into the pits as well as, the, you know, the river. Um, so there's many, many venues where, you know, it's, it's a big, big problem is this. Sort of thing. So it affects all of us. So I would say, you know, keep your eye on this story because it could run and run and could ultimately end up affecting our fisheries moving forward. And and the second story, which caught my eye, which is, again, you know, very, very disturbing, it's this natural England this organisation that just seems to be cropping up more and more and having an impact on angling clubs and associations and just sticking their nose in really into into areas that um, I'm not too sure um, that they are the most educated on. So in this instance, it's um, a potential barrier that's been um, pushed back a couple of times in the past by angling clubs, by the environment agency themselves, but has now apparently been given the go-ahead. And this fish barrier should be placed on uh, Hoverton Broad. Now, recently come back uh, from my very first trip to the Norfolk Broads, and I was blown away by the, the beauty of the place. I really was. And, and just how many anglers were down there. This was early September. And I read with interest that apparently the angling economy on the Broads is worth around £100 million a year, which is staggering. Um, you know, the amount of anglers that go down there to to combine a relaxing break as well as doing a bit of fishing as well. And my understanding of, of I'm no expert on the broads whatsoever, but reading these articles and the Angling Times covers it really well this week, is that this would stop a major migration route for bream specifically. And of course, bream are very well known um, down on the broads and this could have a massive impact. And, and what what's disturbing again is that the Environment Agency, along with this Natural England crew, um, have dismissed their own reports generated by the EA, their fisheries management officers, and, and have almost sort of bypassed their own advice. Now, there's a, there's got to be a hidden agenda there somewhere. I, I simply don't understand it. If if you know my subordinates told me that my plans were completely wrong, completely inaccurate, and actually counterproductive, and I went against them, I'd get sacked. So I don't understand what's going on there, and it and it does disturb me. This this natural England body, which is sticking its beak into fisheries and clubs and potentially with the you know i'd like to think with the best intentions but seem to be a little bit ill-informed so i think as anglers um as great as the tackle industry is you know booming right now we seem to be holding on to all those guys and girls that that took up a rod and a pole um last year through the lockdown it seems that you know the memberships of clubs are growing um the rod license sales have held up fantastic but two things there that, you know, the EA and, and the government in cahoots allowing big water companies potentially to discharge raw sewage. Nah, not for me. Not at all. That's very, very dodgy ground. And similarly, this fish barrier, um, which could have a, a massive impact on uh, bream migra- migration routes in, in such a, a sensitive area where angling is such a big thing for the local economy. So I think we need to be careful. You know, I think we do rest on our laurels as anglers and we think, you know, we're, we're almost not that we're untouchable. But these antis, they've gone nowhere. Um, and, and these types of stories do just 
send a few alarm bells ringing for me. So they were the two that I wanted to cover off, which are of high importance. Into the magazines though themselves, let me just pick up uh, my copy. Improve your course fishing. Not going to go into too much depth. Just two articles here that you know, a, a really nice read, basically. So Kieran Marsden straight away on the venue piece at the start of the magazine. Um, Ullswater. Now, if any of uh, if anybody's familiar with the Lake District, and another great place for, um, of course, UK holidays. You think of the Norfolk Broads, and you think fishing. You lots of water, obviously, but. The Lake District, which is obviously the clues in the name, full of lakes, full of water, not that well known for its course fishing. I know a couple of places like Estwaite Water, which is fabulous for, for predator fishing, and it's got high stocks of silvers as well, but it's rarely fished for. But the others, you know, Windermere, <laughs> I don't know of much angling on there at all. All's Water, this one. Um, I know there's lots of trout that join into the lake at the, at the other end, and but again, you just don't put um, the Lake Districts, weirdly enough, together with fishing. So that's why I found this interesting, just to see, you know, how does it fish? Do you have to pay? Is there a club controlling or what? Now, Kieran's gone on a stretch here, which is uh, it's free fishing. Um, lots of choice to go at. He, he's been going since he was a kid. So he has a bit of a method, um, the way that he approaches the lake. And it's mainly perch, which I, I can imagine in those depths of water, that clarity of water as well. Trout, as I mentioned before, of course, there's eels, pike, etc. And also roach. Now, it looks on this, um, you know, the curse of the cameras perhaps kicked in a little bit. And he, he didn't have a great day, but conditions weren't brilliant, um, bright and clear. And the water, obviously, clarity is very, very clear up there too. But it's a good approach and something that if I still lived in the northwest, I'd certainly be tempted on my next trip to um, the Lake District to, to pack a rod. That's for sure. So that was a, a nice article. It's just I never would have thought of fishing all's water. Drove past it numerous times, but now I know. And the next one um, is Tony Curd. And he is visiting. Now, I know this venue is very, very well known, full of fish. It's the Wold Farm Fishery Pursuits, Northamptonshire. Um, lots of features are done on there. Uh, lots of tackle testing because you know you're going to get, you know, your string is going to get pulled on there. That's for sure. But what he has done here is he's targeted the silvers on, I think it's called the Malt Lake, just with two simple baits, hemp and tares. So something that we would normally associate with fishing rivers, you know, for roach, he's doing it on a still water on a commercial venue. And the net of fish he puts together is stunning. Um, lovely red fins. He even catches a number of barbel as well. On on light-ish light tackle, balanced tackle, sort of, you know, point, um, 13, 14 mainline, point 11, 12 hook lengths, 18s hook, you know, four to six hollow elastic, just nice balanced tackle, which allows you to, to get everything in that you might hook. Um, and that's definitely, perhaps not now, um, as we're going into um, the water clarity drops out and I wouldn't want to risk it through the autumn and winter, I'd probably stick to my usual, you know, little nuggets of chrome and pinkies or maggot approach. But certainly it's something I'd be really interested in fishing. I imagine a soft tear could perhaps imitate the likes of an expander but might be a little bit more robust so yeah i just thought that's something i'd like to try one day so a couple of articles there from improve your course fishing on to match fishing again i've just picked out two standout articles that i quite liked first one in the feeder section um if i can find it 
it's a good old Steve Ringer and what he's doing he's fishing at a window feeder um and it's not actually the tactic that has caught my eye. He's gone on to Packington, Packington Summers there in the West Midlands, and he's been given permission to fish one of the carp syndicate lakes, and that's what intrigues me. So, again, a fantastic net of roach, fishing a window feeder, um, you know, a little plugged in with a little bit of ground bait, you know, single red maggot, just nice, tidy fishing. But what intrigued me about the article, of course, is that he's fishing a carp water, and, and I think that's the one... Um, that I find more interesting is that these carp syndicates and these lakes, that if you can get on them somehow, the silverfish sport is, you know, going to be phenomenal. I've seen 60, 70, 80 bag, pound bags of silvers from the likes of Boddington, which in general is, you know, most of the people that are fishing Boddington are targeting those big carp that, that um, live in there. So, you know, think of a venue close to you where perhaps it's... Um, you know, it's mainly targeted by the, the sort of carp uh, fraternity, if you like, that will ignore um, the, the the amount of silvers. And these silvers are really packing on weight with all the discarded, you know, boilies and detritus that's passed through from the carp. So, yeah, that's one. I, there's a place near in my region called Bain Valley Fisheries, and I've only fished it the one time, but um, it. it it sort of pings my mind when I read that because that is heavily targeted by carp anglers. And I know that there's some huge shoals of bream that are untouched and actually seen as a bit of a nuisance for the carp anglers. But I imagine as well, amongst them bream must be some really good roach and hybrids also. Uh, second thing, actually, it just it made me laugh, this one. It's just, I mentioned it on the last podcast, and I know it's difficult for these um, publications, but match fishing seems to have a... Um, a history of this is that, so Jordan Hall, bless him, um, fishing away there, make it pay with paste. Monk Hall Fishery absolutely hammers it as you would do when it looks to be mid 20 degrees, probably towards the end of June. Again, another article that's completely irrelevant for the October edition of Match Fishing. I, I don't understand, they may as well have just kept that back until next summer because that doesn't work for me. I read it and it was a nice article. But I'm not going to be fishing pace now until, you know, at least sort of May or June next year. Um, and then the other one that, that caught my eye was uh, in that, the the, um, the pole fishing part, was Glen Picton, a place called Burley Fields Lake, which is down in Cheltenham. And again, if you're like me, I'm, I love fishing for carp, of course I do. But what I like is mixed bags. Every time the float goes under, you don't know what it's going to be. I love fishing chop worm, maggots, pinkies, casters. And that's basically what Glenn does here. He's got a bit of a sort of a, a sweet fish meal based ground bait mix that he fishes over the top of. He puts together this wonderful net of skimmers, roach, perch, just, you know, my perfect sort of fishing. So if you like that style of fishing, as we're now coming very much into the, the midst of autumn, um, these tactics would suit you well. So, as always, loads of stuff to read in there, you know, some great stuff. But I wanted to, to focus on those first two pieces that, you know, the sewage piece and the, uh, and the, and the damming of a, of a very important migration route. I mean, if you, you flip that around, can you imagine something like that happening in Ireland, you know, where angling tourism is such a huge thing? And then all of a sudden, whatever the equivalent is of the EA over there, just say, no, 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 we're going to block that there at this time of the year and no fish are going to be able to migrate through the locks and, and through the system. It just wouldn't happen. 
So how it's being allowed in, in one of our most important angling areas in Britain, no idea. Anyway, I've, uh, I've made my point on that. So now, as we've been talking about fisheries, I think it's a fantastic segue into the next section, which is, of course, the big chat. And it's with Alex Doherty with a bit of a fishery special, because, of course, Alex is the resident coach at Lindholm Lakes. So we certainly going to talk about there an awful lot. And of course, about Alex, the man. So let's crack on with the big chat. Teddy Fisher Bates specialise in the manufacture of fishing ground bait and additives. We combine a 40-year-old proven fish catching recipe and the experience of our skilled team. Fishing is an adventure and here at Teddy Fisher we strive to make that adventure a success. Go to www.teddyfisher.co.uk to see our full range of Hi and welcome to The Big Chat and what a special one we've got on this episode because it's a bit of a two for one really. Not only do we get Drennan backed golden rod winner Mr Alex Doherty but we also get an expert at one of the best and biggest fisheries here in the UK and that's of course Lindholm Lakes. So a big big welcome to Alex Doherty. How are you sir? Sam mate good thank you for having me on. Um, yeah. Something a bit different first one I've ever done so I'll learn on the job by the sounds of things. You will indeed. Don't worry, pal. You're more than welcome. I'll break your duck. I'll be gentle. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> now, listen, I know you've um, you've heard a few of these in the past anyway, so you know the sort of format. But what we do is we have what's called a past, present and future piece. And um, it's a little bit more about sort of you as the man rather than just the angler. So let's kick off with that. Let's let's talk about, I mean, you're not a particularly old chap anyway, but how did you start fishing? How did you actually get into it? Was it like parents friends or what um well my granddad took me as a kid you know as you all do just down to the little local pond catching a few ropes and things and um, it kind of progressed from there really i was always big into like sport football well anything really just anything competitive growing up um and then it, it sort of got to a point with football where it was like you know you're, you're playing with lads some lads weren't interested and like you know people want to do their own things so for me i was I'm always really competitive with things, so I just went my own way and sort of went in the direction of fishing. It all kind yeah. of stemmed from there, really, as I got into it a bit more. Um, Tommy Pickering was running some coaching classes at Lindo, went along to them, and the rest history, as we say. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it's crazy, isn't it, when you think of it like that? And and with Lindo, I mean, I mean, we'll cover that off a lot throughout this chat, but I bet you've seen some changes there, aren't you, from them first uh, couple of sessions you had with Tom? Oh, well, the first few times I went, the what was the tackle shop and the cafe was just being built. Right. And then to think there was no caravans or lodges or anything at that point, then that was all like in the future. <laughs> so, what, how long have I been there now? So, 11 years I've been going to Lindome. So, in that time, when you actually look back at it, how much has happened? It's, it's in, in what, really. yeah, in what's really a short space of time. In 10, 11 years, it's nothing real as it flies by. So, yeah, we yeah. have to think of that. Um, yeah, it's pretty crazy, really. Well, thinking about your angling development, then, if that was only 11 years ago when you had those sessions, it's not bad um, to be winning up, picking up one of the major prizes just over a decade later. So how did you get into match fishing? Was that just from the competitive side of you? 
Um, well, I used to play a lot of football, and then I had, like, had a problem with knee, and it was like, right, you have to have 12 months out of sport. So I was like, you need, I think in a lot of things for your fine people need to get that competitive fix, don't you? <laughs> yeah. So yeah. sort of jumped on like a few matches. Didn't really know anything about fishing, to be honest. So I just you know, went to Lindome, had those few lessons with Tommy, and then oh, there's some open matches, so jumped on then. And I sort of missed all the club match, junior match sort of side. I fished for like the Barnsley Juniors for a little bit. Yeah. But sort of jumped in and started fishing open matches and went from there, to be honest. So what sort of age was that then? Uh, I've been 15, 16, maybe a little bit older. Yeah, straight. It's, it's funny. I mean, we, as I say, there's a theme through all these uh, these podcasts and it's either one way or the other. A lot of the lads, what I found, the natural anglers that we've spoke to in the past have gone through that junior section, clubs, somebody second them under the wing, junior matches. Whereas the commercial lads, a lot of them tend to have been like straight into the fire. You know, it's like, let's, let's have a crack at an open and see how we go on. So yeah, a bit of a baptism of fire, that, isn't it? What, do you remember your first win or your first pickup? The first time, I think the first time I framed, I remember it, because if anyone who anyone who knows Lindome will know Steve Robbery from the old from the good old days. Like he was he was a man at Lindome. So I drew next to Steve on Laurels and I was on sixty three on the point. And I remember I caught some big cap shot and also a few on a bomb as well. I think I had sixty five pound and I was fourth in the match and that was the first time I picked up at Lindome. <laughs> you remember it well. You, that is a, yeah, you can remember the weight and everything. And the peg. What did you, was your favourite method as you started? Was you did you learn with a pole or was it a rod and line? Um, I was a bit lucky in a way, really. Like when we went down to the Monday night classes with Tommy after school, and it was like, right, this week you're going to learn to cast a method feed. Ah, okay. This week you're going to fish a long pole with pellets. You know, you you so, you sort of got a nice grounding in commercial fishing in in a variety of methods and baits and how to do it. Yeah, the reason why I ask is, uh, I mean, I think back to when I was a kid and poles were, you know, they were, they were nothing. But if you wanted one, they were very expensive. So you always had to learn with a rod and line. I'm just wondering how the younger generation, if you like, whether they started kicking off with a pole or whether it was a bit of everything. And obviously having that schooling with Tom, he's he's always going to show you a bit of everything, isn't he? So that's, that's perfect because it gives you an idea. And, and with Lindholm then, did you want to start, did you diversify elsewhere? Because, I mean, where you're from, there are hundreds of waters, you know, just a short drive away. So did you stick to Lindholm and get uh, your head down there or did you move about a bit? I fished a few waters round, round near us as, like, as a kid and like there was Lindholm, Bank and a few at Woodhouse Grange. But sort of, I was very lucky that Neil sort of looked after me from a very young age. So <laughs> just sort of fell into the groove of going to Lindholm and, it, it all sort of stemmed from there, really. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I tried to get Neil on once, but um, guess what? He was too busy. <laughs> no. It'd be yeah. brilliant. To be fair, you'd have, you'd have to ed- do a lot of editing with him. I know. You can't predict what's gonna, what he's going to say. I know. And we tried to stick between an hour and an hour and a half, and I reckon it would have lasted a wee bit longer than that. So Yeah, you <laughs> uh... had some brilliant stories out of him. I know, unbelievable. So that's good. That's interesting in the way that you started and with obviously Tom, um, you know, putting you through your paces there. So thinking about coming up to a bit a bit more modern, if you like, that, how did it start with you? Send Neil looks after you. Was that just a case of, you know, weekend job, riddling maggots and whatnot? How did it sort of turn into your, I guess it's your career, isn't it? You started working a shop full time. Now you've got your coaching. What was the evolution of that? Oh. Uh... 
well, I suppose it just started like anyone, really, like a bit of a Saturday job. I'd sat, I'd sat this Sunday through summer, you know, when it was busy, just to give Neil and Aaron mm. a hand in the shop. Yeah. Um, obviously, through that, it was Garblino at the time, and sort of got to know um, Darren Clark, Steve Cook, the Garblino lads, fell in with them in the early days and got looked after, and that really helped out because I think a, a lot of people's been there 15, 16, 17 year old you haven't got a lot of money. You're trying to get tackled to compete on these matches and things. Yeah. It's, you know, it's a constant juggling act, isn't it? But without that help from, you know, Darren and Neil and those guys in the early days, um, you probably wouldn't even be able to fish to the level that you were trying to fish at in honesty. Mm. So that was really appreciated. And it's, it, it got, went from there, really. It was like, instead of doing a Saturday, Sunday, it was like a Saturday, Sunday, Monday through the school holidays and things. And, it it just went from there, really. Went to university. I had my three years at university, and then sort of as I was as I was coming to the end of my time there, I've had um, Neil sort of tapped me on the shoulder and was like, "I want you to come work for me." And here what we was, are, five years later. What was you studying at uni? Did geography at uni. I went to university at Sheffield. Hopefully, I live <laughs> for my second and third year. I, I live round the corner from Speedy, so. That was an experience. <laughs> did he make you tea a few times? We, yeah. Uh, where did we go? He, he's rang me one day, middle of the day, and speak. Anyone that knows Speedy used to be a chef, and he's took me to this Chinese restaurant in the in the city centre in Sheffield. And yeah, I thought, oh, brilliant, Chinese, be lovely. It, like all you can eat. Here we go, great. And Speedy's, oh, I'll do the ordering, and we've got what have we ended up with: squids, tentacles, chickens' feet, and you know, when you're just sitting there sort of looking at it, and I was like, can I just have some spring rolls, please? And then, <laughs> you know, that's the first, I think that's the first and last Chinese I've ever walked away from hungry. Oh, not for me. Not for me. Well, I was, I was geography panned out whilst working in the tackle shop at Lindo. You know, I, I know my way around Bonsai, you know, you know. You're all right on those uh, those golf carts, so it's it's done, done you some good. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 we know his way around, but... <laughs> Um, no. It's one of them things, isn't it? I, I always had a, a sort of idea I wanted to do something in fishing, work in fishing, but I wanted to give myself an option, you know, sort yeah. of set myself up before I just dove in at the deep end and, you know, run that risk of it could all go wrong. Of course, yeah. And, um, I think that's important as well, you know, to look after yourself, you know, with qualifications and things rather than, you know, sacrifice everything just to go fish. Yeah, I mean, it's we all love it. You know, we'd all love to do it more. Um, but for somebody that lives and breathes it in the shop at weekends of an evening doing your coaching, whatever, you got to be careful it doesn't consume you too much, I guess. So, yeah, no, I get it. And it's always something that, um, I mean, that's my game. I work in travel. So geography is my, my thing. Do you know what I mean? It's like um, if I didn't have traveling as an outlet, then, yeah, I'd probably go a little bit spare. So, Good choice, geography. I wish I'd have done it at uni, to be fair, but good. Well, I've got a couple of things down here, a um, couple of notes that I made as well. So and it's interesting, you just said about your, your first pickup or your first framing. Um, because rubbing shoulder with these lads, you just mentioned Nick, you've met, obviously Tommy, Darren Cox, loads and loads of top anglers that have fished Lindholm over the years. So it must have been a good grounding for you. Who would you say is that? This, these are my questions, by the way. I've got some listener ones for you later, yeah. on, if you don't mind. Um, who would you say has been the biggest influence fishing wise on you then? 
in ter- in terms of someone to learn from yeah, and tips, talk. tricks, sort of really picking things up off or you just thought, you know, it sticks in your head. Um in the early days I've got to say Tommy and Speedy, I I owe to them massively like the amount of time I spent on the phone to them just picking their brains and stuff. I, I must have done reading really, so you know, I, I <laughs> apologize for that. All the hours on the phone to Speedy and you know, um but to be honest, everyone's great with you over years. Obviously, you sort of become a bit of a, fa- a familiar face at the fish where you get to know people. And, you can, yeah. and like, even that, like even now, like I walk around and, like, the carp angles will be on loco and you'll be like, oh, what bait are you using? What flavour? Whereabouts? Because um, one of the best things we've had in the last few years, you know, the, the deepers, like, mm. the, the mad for them. And it's like, oh, just chuck it over there. Like, we, Everyone talks about this bar over there. And they're like, oh no, there's there's no bar there. But if you if you go over here, it'll drop off to this. It, it, you still find you're learning stuff now, even though you sort of, of lived and breathed the venue for the last ten years. Yeah, yeah, of course. So they're using them on local, are they? That's interesting. There's an odd odd lad chucks one out, and obviously we're, we're starting to get a few carp angles on there as fish get a bit bigger. But mm-hmm. yeah, going back to it, I've got to say Tommy and Speedy in the early days. Um, They've been brilliant with me all the way through since being a kid and um, probably more recently since like the times with Dren and, and things. I owe a lot to Alan. Alan's been brilliant with me. Yeah. And loads of people, loads. You um, it's you take things from everyone, don't you? Or even like local lads who come on the opens and things. Like Sometimes it's just one little thing and it yeah. can be worth its weight in gold when, when we've told you it. I think the the sort of benefit that you've got being on site all the time as well, and and a lot of these local lads, as you say, that are fishing it regular, is that you get to know the mood of the waters, um, where, like you say, that switch from say pellet to maggot, you're on it, you're there straight away, and you you know you can pick up on it right away. Whereas a lot of the the club anglers, and it, I was thinking as well, I was writing some notes, and you must see hundreds and hundreds of anglers a week go through the shop as you're driving around, as you're chatting to people. And I guess, whereas years ago you had, you know, you was like you just said, Mither and Speedy and and Tom or whatever, these lads are obviously asking you the questions. So the the roles of you know you're they're looking up to you for advice um, because a lot of the club anglers, of course, might only fish it two or three times a year. So. How many anglers a week do you reckon you see going through that shop? And oh, it's God pretty God. much full every weekend at least, isn't um, it? On a busy Saturday, Sunday, we'll probably see between four and 500 anglers in the two days. Yeah. But obviously the, the last couple of years have been a bit different with COVID. Um, people have had a lot more free time in the week, you know, with furlough and whatever's mm. been going on. I mean, probably at times through the summer, we've been getting 100 100 to 130 people mid, a day midweek. Yeah, yeah, it's um, crackers. And what is nice, too, like we've had a massive increase in the amount of pleasure anglers, you know, a lot of younger kids and, you know, lads and dads and things, which is always good. I'm going to say it must be, I know, coaching to one side, but just those those newbies that are, are learning the craft, you know, do you get a kick out of giving them you know, a bit of advice and getting them little kids catching the first fish and whatnot as well. Yeah, it's nice when you see them come in and you're like, oh, I'll go sit up, say, if they're fishing for a big carp, like send them up to Loco if you just want to get a few bites, you know, up on Benny's or, and then a lot of them will bob in the shop on the way out and say, oh, thank you for that. I had really good days. I had 30 F1s. And, you yeah. know, when, when you look after your customers and things, that, that's when they come back. You don't want to be, you know, sitting them somewhere where they're not going to get a bite because, 
that's where you end up with unhappy. Yeah, happiness. they're not going to come back, are they? That's the thing. And and with fishing, I know you, I know that you never know, but when you know them waters inside and out like yourself, then there's a good chance they're going to have a good day. Um, questioning then coming up to, I guess, more modern times, because obviously you've had that big win under your belt. And I know I've, I've read, um, you documented quite well, and I know you did quite a cracking little video with Drennan about how you won the, the final, the Golden Rod final earlier on. Uh, this year so we're not going to go into the the tactics of that and whatnot so for those that are interested and, and if they've not seen it already head over to the Drennan YouTube channel and you'll see that um but what was it about these uh getting into the big was it a, is that a recent thing getting into the qualifiers or have you been doing it a couple of years um, I've always fished them for quite a while to be honest probably S- seriously since I left uni mm-hmm. um so I've always fished for Lindo ones and things, but you know, you know what these big matches are like. You can you can go a long time without drawing a chance. Um, yeah. Which, to be honest, when you look at like the likes of Andy Bennett, Jamie Hughes, and them them lads, it's unbelievable that they qualify year on year. Mm. Um, Mad when you see their records, and it? it's just oh, frightening. Um, so yeah, that's where it sort of stemmed from. Started fishing a few of them, and you know, got got lucky in one um, last year at Lindo. So you qualified from Lindholm for the final? Yeah, where, yeah. Where, what, which lake was that off of? I was on um, Laurel's Peg 37, I was. Hmm. Um, so I had a nice day, caught a few down the middle. Then, like, where the... Obviously, Laurel's got a real landscape, where the arms used to be. Yeah. Um, there was a big tree growing in off one of the islands, caught a few carp to a tree, and then just sort of followed them around into the bay and had, had a nice run of F1s in that last hour, I think. I think he had £94 and won the match and won the zone. So that, that was a ticket to the final. How how'd you then go about preparing for Larford, wasn't it, the final? Wasn't the final pushed back as well? Yeah, it got delayed because of um, the winter lockdowns and things. Yeah. So obviously Larford, was all, it was all about method feeder style fishing, possibly a bit of cage feeder fishing on the speci for the skimmers. All the fishermen could be either, say, wafters, hard pellets, or dead maggots on the hook. Um, so, yeah, just geared all my kit around the method feeder and, you know, possibly a little bit of cage feeder fishing for skimmers. Yeah. To be honest, I went. Obviously, we had a big extended sort of layoff from fishing because of the, lockdown, the winter lockdown last year. Yeah. yeah. Once pleasure fishing was allowed, I pretty much went every day at Lindholm, just, you know, when. Not so much fishing. I wasn't really bothered about the fishing because that looks after itself when you're at the venue. But it was like, there was rumour, obviously, that one bank was going to be in on the match lake. It was like, right, at the widest, that's probably going to be 70, 75 metres. Oh, right, a bit of a chuck then. Mm. Yeah, so you're there like, right, I need to be able to hit that every single chuck. So like, I went up the narrow end on Loco, looking from one side to a platform on the other side and things (laughs) like that. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. And I just think... um, because as well, it's not a style of fishing we do every day. Like we're not, I'm not sort of an out and out feeder angler. I try to do a bit of everything, you know. Yeah. Pole feet, well, all around commercial fishing. I just thought I, I really wanted to put the time in to make sure I was up to scratch with it. Uh, it's one of them as well. I think we're um, fit carp are carp, right? F1s are F1s, skimmers are skimmers, if you like. But I think getting your tackle right. <laughs> Is key. Either you either kick yourself, you'd have got all the way down there and you, you did not put that prep in, especially when you've got, you know, those waters on your doorstep that you can, that you know so well. So, 
No, it makes sense. Do you think that it gave you an advantage in that final as well, that you felt ultra-prepared? Um, yeah. Oh, the, the ups and stuff I tied that for, for those two days were ridiculous, really. Um, but for me, it was more sort of confidence in the kit, i.e. like the longer rods, the shot leaders, casting mm. off a shot leader. When you don't do it every day, it takes you a bit to, you know, feel comfortable with it. Doing it a little while, getting my head around it and... It was just nice to sort of get in tune with with your kit more than anything. Um, then, well, it, it might seem a bit overkill to some, but I went five days practicing just to learn the venue, the areas, you know, that sort of thing. Get confident in the kit, the lines you think you're going to fish well, fish on and go from there. Yeah, no, no, it makes sense. I like it. I mean, apart from, um, obviously, your, your home water, if you like, Lindon, what other venues are you are you familiar with or are you fans of what where do you like do you enjoy to get away uh, from the venue to try other places now and then um i like going elsewhere to to fish an event so like for, like last week we just come back from the tunnel bar and we've been on the Drennan festival or say i go to white acres two or three times a year yeah um but in terms of sort of your general open match fishing Lindome's 10 minutes from my house and I yeah. find it hard to drive past Lindome to fish an open map. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. So that that's my main... And obviously I, f- I feel very loyal to Aaron and Neil and you know everyone there that's done a lot for, for me and I like to support them. Yeah, no, totally. I get it. What about natural waters? Are you, are you, are you involved with them? Do you like um, giving a dabble? I used to fish um, the Staney every winter from... Probably when I just started driving up to being about 20 years old. Um, and then that's sort of not fell out of favour with but the matches started declining with less people going. And it sort of became apparent for me that like I wanted to go down that commercial route. So, yeah. you know, just jumped in, jumped in at that end with the deep end with the commercial fishing, really. Yeah, that makes sense as well. It's one of those where I think, I mean, I like a bit of all sorts, me, but you do struggle because... It's the amount of kit that you've got to have, the amount of prep and the amount of times I've gone out and like this weekend, I know I'm, I'm fishing a river this weekend. I'm bound to forget something. That's <laughs> what it's just yeah, the, no, no, the no, nature no. of the beast. It's, the kit over and, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's a nightmare really, isn't it? Like even when we get that twice and swapping over that one day at Parfs, just it's yeah. chaotic. You should see the state, especially with me and speed, was just kit ends up everywhere in the lodge. It's difficult. I mean, you've got to say, you've got to take your hat off to these lads. The like, you know, the likes of, I don't know, Matt Godfrey, Lee Kerry, these lads that can do everything and must have a, a garage full of, you know, like a tackle shop. It's just to, to try and have all angles covered. Do you ever fish the Trent? No, the oh. Literally, this is going to sound mad. Like it's probably going to cut, it'll probably upset some people. If I open my back door about six, probably a bit more, probably ten meters from the river, Trent, it runs through my back garden. You're joking. And I've never fished there. Oh no! What's going on? That's what? why I asked. Cause I'm just thinking because when I said Matt Godfrey, I just thought tidal Trent. You won't be far away from there. Surely you fished that. No, it, <laughs> no it's, it's literally my back garden. Oh no, Alex! You've got to get get your uncle Tommy to take you down there Honestly, and get you. Me and Maze, the amount of times me and Maze cut the trees about level the other bank and pre-baited it, and then you're round fishing all day. You come home, it's five six o'clock. You just think, oh, I just want to sit on the settee for an hour. I just want to have an hour. I guess so, because of course, for those that, that listeners that don't know, of course, 
your missus is a great angler herself as well so i suppose when i said before about being consumed with fishing if you're working all the time and you, you you're in the you know you, you, you're talking about fishing you're selling the gear and then when you come home probably the last thing you want to do is start thinking about fishing again like you say so difficult and like you said balancing act i always think uh, yeah i wouldn't mind taking my missus fishing and you know some, share something together but it's a word of warning don't do it the, the yeah. bait bill is horrific <laughs> the bait bill. Oh, the amount of casters I have bought for her to blast in shallow this year is, is ridiculous. Ah, uh, you got to tell her that pellets working, then, aren't you? It's cheaper. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now tell me, actually, speak about bait. So dynamite baits. Um, you've been with those guys for a, how long? Have you been with them? A fair few years. That'll be. What that been? Second. That'll be my third year of university. I think so. That'll be six years now. I've been with dynamite. Yeah, Dynamite. So back you as well, just like you said before, whereas previously Garbolino, now with, with, with Drennan as well. Um, how much uh, does bait give you confidence for how you're approaching a peg or approaching a different area? Because I know you have some set mixes that you stick to, don't you? Yeah, to be honest, I'm probably a bit of a nightmare because I hate change. Like, you know, if it's not broke, don't fix it. Yeah. Um, so I'm very reluctant to change it off. Probably that mix everyone's heard a million times, Green Swim, Stim and Marine Alibut. I've used that since I was a kid. I used it even before I was sponsored when, you know, Speedy was showing me the ropes. And to be honest, it's it's just how diverse that mix is for commercial fishing. You can mix it perfect for a method feeder. You can overweight it for in the edge. If you want to use a fish a paste, you can use a Green Swim, Stim for a paste. Yeah. Um, there are a few things that I don't use it for. So, like, say now I probably up more towards a milled, a milled expander style of mix, a um, bit finer, a bit sort of less offensive, if that's the right word. If if a fish aren't really wanting to have a feed, it's a bit more subtle. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the only other mix really is probably a bit of black swim stim if I'm still fish fishing on a commercial. And then F1 sweep, you know, fishing overweight as a slop or fishing shallow for F1s. Yeah. Do you, do you ever use the, the the cool water versions as well? I mean, I've never used them before. Uh, I've used it a bit. Use it a bit. Um, you know, if I'm fishing for say skimmers or you mm. know, in little balls, anything like that. But very similar to black. Just um, obviously, it's a bit more crushed, expandery, a bit sweet. But again, the problem, not the problem, but the thing with bait is confidencing, isn't it? Once you've used something for that long and that amount of years, um it's hard to change because you know how it works. You understand how it mixes. You know, if you're not getting bites, it's not, it's not the mix or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. And well, listen, I was using swim, green swim stim 20 years ago and it worked then and it still works today. So, you know, like you say, it's, you found it works for you with that Marine Albert mix. And why would you change it? I don't, I do. I just, the reason why I asked, I think, you know, um bait is a is a confidence thing like additives you know it's not they're not for everybody but if they make you feel a bit more confident in what you're doing if you feel that you're a little bit different doing something different from somebody next door when using fishery pellets then go for it i say you know i don't see uh i don't see any negative against it at all um okay so a few more questions i'm thinking about um Back to Lindholm. questions from listeners if you don't mind just might uh you might be able to answer for them um, so, is it going to be like the normal, can we drive on the grass at the weekend? 
no, no. Well, we're going to stuff weird and wonderful stuff. So I've got a little note here about uh, your favourite customers, shall we say? No, no. These are genuine ones, mate. That you, I'm sure you'll be able to answer. So this, uh, this first question: ten new lodges being built on Bonsai, right? Um, yeah, I think it's yeah, as yeah. you drive in. So where the caravans were? Yeah, where all the touring, touring caravans there? They've gone back, and um, there's going to be ten new rental lodges for next year. Yeah, so the question is, will the pegging be affected on bonsai, i.e., just like the lodges on the other side, are they going to have like their own private pegs? No, 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 that's completely separate. There's, um, it's not going to knock any pegs down on bonsai. Um, but I think they're going to, I'm not, I stay away from lodges first, that's Neil and Aaron's domain. Um, but I think they're going to be a bit further back, the rental lodges, and I think they're going to face towards the woods at the back. Right, um, got it. Yeah, that makes no, sense. No, it's nothing to worry about with fishing or bonsai or anything like that. Um, they're all going to be fenced off, so it's going to be secluded. You know, um, obviously there's a road aspect to worry about with safety and kids and all that sort of thing. But well, that's what I was thinking. If they were going to be like facing the lake, then you know you'd have to divert the road round if you're going to turn that into the garden. It didn't. Yeah, so, so that makes sense when you set up. Facing the way. row of trees or or whichever you know Neil will decide that but um that's something for near the time really but no it's not going to affect bonsai um bon so hopefully it'll um it can only be a good thing as as a more accommodation on site more people come in it's only going to grow and get bigger and better okay yeah no no perfect um another question why is bonsai so green <laughs> Is it all the green swim sting? No. Yeah, it's probably my, me shucking the method feeder in so often. Um, <laughs> all that is, it's just the algae growing on the lake. Um, the green's not so much a problem. That's fine. Um, you know, it's just, you know, it looks like pea soup, but it's not oh, harmful. Um, the only thing you have to be a bit careful of is if it dies off and when it dies off and grows black, that can cause some problems with oxygen. But, mm. you know, we're careful with the spinners. We've got fresh water available to pump in and things. So, just keep your eye on it and touch wood. We've not had any problems with it. Hopefully, when we're going to get bonsai all redone this winter, all reshaped and remoulded. So, um, you know, once once there's a bit more depth, that might help with that algae a little bit. Yeah, I've seen um, Aaron's been planting some trees next to my favourite peg. So there's going to be a lot of landscaping on there, is there, and a, and a re redesign? What's yeah, the... get, get rid of all the silt, tidy all that up, maybe mm -hmm. redo the islands. Obviously, you don't know what they're going to be like till you get in there, mm. um, you know, if they're undercut or whichever, and get it back to its original depth. It, you know, it was around six, seven foot when it first started, and obviously more recent years, it's probably close to three, four foot. Yeah, it is, yeah, three and a half, four foot, isn't it, yeah um next question how does the fishery decide its stocking policy how does it decide stocking policy uh, it's a, it's, i guess the guess what they're trying to say there is around um you know most commercials will well most venues will stock during the winter so i guess how do you decide what lake needs what um what species are going in each one what the thought process is i suppose i'm not too sure if you can answer that's quite a toughie well i suppose inevitably every lake's going to lose fish into it like you know it's it's life things you know we live we grow we die don't we it's you know that's the process yeah um so you're always going to be losing a percentage of them fish so you have to be constantly renewing and you know replacing them to to maintain the weights and the fishing and 
you know, keep, that's what all your customers come for. They want to come get eyes, catch fish. So that is it a case of just thinking? Because I mean, thinking actually, apart from what you think Benny's is a lot of F1s and locals, a bit of crazy big fish or whatever, the, the rest of them are all pretty similar um, stocking, I guess. But well, maybe what's the one over the back full of eye? I always forget its name. Beaches. Beaches, yeah. I suppose that's slightly different. So do you just think, right, well, we keep it the same species or do you mix it up a bit and um, just think, well, let's whack 100 tension for a laugh or <laughs> I don't know. You put a load of tension out in beaches. We try to keep, you try to keep every lake a bit different. So obviously you've got loco for your big fish, Benning's for your bikes, for loads of F1s. Bonsai willows, laurels are a bit of a mix and beaches, you know, some smaller fish. But in terms of um, what lakes put them in and when, it's just, you, I suppose you could keep an eye on your match results and yeah. Go yes. from there if if, mm-hmm. if if you match the results on don't get me wrong like from you can't really judge it on much from like July to now because it is going to tail off a little bit as it cools down but you get a rough idea and um go from there with it you sort of so like one year we might put a few in bonsai willows laurels then we might top loco up and a few in you just sort of go around your lakes and try and maintain that those new fish the other beauty of it of putting new fish in as well it freshens it all up mm, brings more, it wild, more competition it makes your original stock feed so when laurels was remodeled did were the fish taken out of there or was the work done whilst they were still in oh it was unbelievable what he did really um neil's friend he does lakes and those sort of things so he's, he's driven this great big digger onto the arms scooped out the you can imagine he's now on what is the island yeah scooped out the middle of them and left two tracks to track across so track back across these <laughs> these paths like yeah just wide enough for this digger to go across um and then got back to obviously the main banking and then just pulled the the remaining bit of the arm out wow yeah so, i get it he's left like two runners to put his yeah. his, his tracks on Crikey. To be honest with you, I think he did the full lake in about three, four days, which is crazy, really. So no taking fish out, no messing about, just a case of no, getting get these fish. <laughs> no, is that going to um, happen on willows or not? The main reason for doing the, the arms on the laurels were they were getting really undercut and, you know, things were starting to erode and it was getting to a point where it was going to be a bit of a problem and a bit dangerous. So that mm. was the main reason of that. Willers is still quite a way off. The arms are still quite wide, quite, and they're not dangerous. No, that's right. Yeah, that 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 was a big thing. It was it was getting to be a bit of a safety worry. Uh, interesting. And and the last one then for you, mate. On um, I guess Lindholm for the uh, listener part. Um, are there plans for further lakes at Lindholm? Um, all will come clear, I suppose. Um, oh, not one of these. He started one at the back, hadn't he, behind the yes. Oasis and the mm-hmm. Oasis extension where the lodges are. And um, then there's, there's Oscars, which is at the back of beaches, which never well, really I was going to ask you about that. It's just all like a bit of an overgrown little jungle, but I have seen fish topping there. And there's obviously fish in that new one because I've seen yeah. them topping there as well. Um, Oscars is linked to beaches as well, but like, there's a big pipe under the lake. Ah, okay. Um, but eventually, it'd be nice to tide it up and get another 20 or so pegs on there for the clubs, you know, give everyone a bit more space, make it a bit nicer for them. 
Yeah, no, exactly. What would you do? Uh, join that up with beaches or keep it separate as a like a separate lodge? I think he's sort of toying with the idea of, of making it up, extending that sort of bowl, that island area of the lake into a big bowl because it seems to, um, they seem to vacate it in the winter into that main body of the lake, don't they? A little bit. Mm. So hopefully widen that up and spread the fish out a bit more. What's the most common questions that you get asked? What's the um, the common errors that you see as well when you're coaching? What most most common question would have to be like, where's the cafe? Like, you know, we get that every day when we, okay. walk, <laughs> when we walk into the shop. Um, but in terms of fishing-wise, it's more, you know, baits, methods. I've drawn peg, such and such. What, how would you go about it? In terms of errors, what biggest error? Probably people fishing too heavy and too big a hook. Is that right? For, for the F1s, for the F1s, it's very important. For the, you know, for the carp, you can be a bit more take no prisoners, can't you? Yeah. Yeah. So what are they doing? Are they coming in with like 0.16 and Yeah, 14? like 016 and a 14 hook and, yeah. you know, oh, I've only caught 30 pounds on stage match. Whereas if the fish like an 18 and 013, we'd probably catch one a drop. What would you say would be your like your top tip for I guess for the complex but commercial fishing in general? Um, just fish one fish at a time. The amount of times I like, I'll be walking around, say I'm I don't know flicking the spinners off or something as a club match starts, mm. and we'll shout time. You'll see twenty big pots go out into the lake, and I don't think no matter where I've been in the country fishing, I've never just gone in and put a big pot of bait in. <laughs> I've always sat there and like tap ten pellets in, or you know, cast a little feeder to an island and just sort of watch what's going what's on. Happening. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. So yeah, and and that is true. I think back. I mean, that's that's my game. You know, club angler fish the, the occasional open, and and it is true. You see, um, I think it's routine that you know, mate. To be honest, it's, yeah. There's, there's a yeah. I think there's something in people's heads that well, it, this it, lake's full of fish, and this is what they want. Yeah, it's what it's a lot of the more natural venue anglers into like I need to bring them all into my peg and then work out how to catch them. They're there anyway. That's the yeah, thing. yeah. I think the easiest way of explaining it to Linda, like where say you've got a stone in the lake, wherever that stone lands, it's probably no more than a foot from a fish. So you don't need to bring them into your peg. You, you just feed them to catch one and then you can feed to catch another. Um, shallow fishing is a different ball game, but in terms of fishing on the deck and think you don't need to, to raft bait in to catch fish. No, totally agree. I was thinking actually on um, cause I've, I'm not great shallow fishing wise. You always still get a penny's great, you know. You're always going to catch a few on there and whatnot. They do drift off, and it's probably because of my poor feeding. But um, in general, on there nowadays, because you used to they used to be like piranhas, didn't they, when they were tiny on the surface? Where do you think like the best depth is on on Benny's in summer? Typical June, July day. Um, because I don't think they come right up shallow like they used to do, do they? Or is it just that you can't see them anymore? Um, I think we're just a bit cleverer now we go about it. You still see an odd boil and things, but for me, a lot of it's um, people try to fish too short for them. You know, you'll see them fishing like out there and shallow. How it used to be, yeah, six, seven metres sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, they're mm. massive now. They're all sort of two to four pound, these F1s. Yeah. So if you can ship out to 11 metres, slap your rig over and you've got one on and you're shipping back with one and it takes someone, I don't know, 30 seconds to hook one short, over the course of five hours, it's going to make a big difference. 
the other thing I see is because people see the big weights and things, they try to catch them too shallow, like that 8, 10, 12 inches. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I've had days where I've caught 250, 300 pound and caught them all at three foot. Yeah. That's on, what I mean. That's so it's not how it used to be for sure. Yeah. Jiggers, though, are a massive thing on there because you just don't miss a bite and it just gives you that because of the depth of the lake, it gives you that option to search your peg a little bit more. It's, I mean, it's, it's mad. We could talk about, you could talk about Lindholm, obviously between us, we could talk about all the different lakes and all the different bits and pieces. Cause it's just, I, what I like um, is that you can choose how you want to fish on that day. You know what I mean? If I want to, not that I really pleasure fish there, but it's, you want to go on Ben, I like fishing paste. I'll go on, I'll catch anything that swims on bonsai, not a problem. If I want to fish a, a tip, then you know, I'll go on loco or even get a nice little peg on the strip and just chuck to the far bank. You know, there's just whatever you want to do, there is something there on that day that will suit your style of fishing. If I want to fish a waggler for silver, so like you say, beaches, go on there and catch a load of hide. So it's just you know, something for everybody. Um, one thing that I've never never fancied doing, I wanted to ask you this. Um, have you ever had a fish for those pike on local? I've caught one on pellet waggler. Yeah, I've got I've got mixed feelings with them. I was at I was just, I went for a shot one evening, you know, brush up on a bit of waggler fishing or something. I saw like I thought it was a carp just sort of cruising about and I ended up like mugging a pike about fifteen pounds on a waggle. <laughs> mugging a pike, brilliant. Yeah. You know, that that's my claim to pet fame in pike fishing. But then I've had the other side of it where Speedy, I was next to Speedy on the Rod League and he's had one twenty-two pound on a method feeder. I take it they're not included on the league. No, no, they count. Pike count. In, in the rules, Pike count. Okay. And we can't talk about Lindown Pike without um, mentioning what Speedy caught one next to, it's a common theme in it, Speedy and Pike. Um <laughs> Caught one next to Jamie Snegger on the league. It, I think it was twenty eight pound. It's cost no. Jamie winning the winning the winter league. I think had he fished for it as well, or is he just randomly no, winding the method? Uh, winding his method in with a, wa- a yellow wafter on and um, pikes at the method. <laughs> it's just I've heard so many stories about them. I mean, I've never never caught one. I've never gone for them. Even when we have you know weekends down there, whatever, I could have nipped off of an evening and tried to catch what I've never even bothered. Um, but there's so many stories of just different people catching them. And yeah, I didn't think it'd be your cup of tea to be fair. Oh, but they're massive as well. It's just, but you see like some of the pipe lads come and we never catch one. And like someone drops on an open match, catches one thirty pound. And it's, it's a fish of a lifetime for a lot of people, isn't it? A pipe <laughs> it's if you're a pike angler, yeah. You've caught it by accident on a method. <laughs> it's just a bizarre scenario. What's, um, can you think of any sort of like funny, because of all these hundreds of anglers you see, obviously, week in, week out, can you think of any specifically funny stories over your time working there? Oh, God, there's millions. <laughs> I bet there is. You, you could write a book on just things Neil's done, never mind anything else. You might do one day. <laughs> It'd be a bestseller, wouldn't it, with some of his antics? Funny things. Well, you just have to look at Nick Speed, don't you, when he walks in, some of the stuff he comes out with, then just put a one. So, um, Funny story. It, we're on the feed. Uh, to be fair, it's probably a bit of a confession as well. We were on the feeder and bomb league a couple of years back, and Paul Chris, anyone like Paul Christie, big sort of bodybuilder kind of guy, and like the local lads will all know Paul. So he's come up and he's gone back to his van to do something. I was next pegged to him, so I've, I've walked up. 
got his, his long rod for chucking to the middle of the loco and clipped it up at about eight metres. <laughs> and, then, and then, then got the sand back on my peg. We've shouted time and nobody's no one's moved off the box. So Paul's gone to smack this rod out towards the middle of the lake where all these carp are topping like towards towards Sunken Island. <laughs> he's, hit, he's hit this clip on this reel. The clip's just exploded. The feeders it's not snapped the line though, so his feeders hit the clip and come <laughs> flying back at him. No. Now, luckily it's not it's not him, but then everybody sort of collapsed laughing. <laughs> luckily is Tommy and Speedy's cop the blame for it they were they were behind him and the other side of him. So I, I got away with that one a little bit, but that was quite a funny a funny and, thing. And this is your confession now. Yeah, this is me. He's I, he don't come as much now, so hopefully I've got away with that one. <laughs> You must be all sorts of like that on these leagues because you get a lot of the same fish. They're that popular, aren't they? You get a lot of repeat sort of anglers fishing them year in, year out. Yeah, but in I always like to think it's competitive, but it's also friendly. Like everyone has a laugh. Yeah, that's and, good. You know, the day you stop enjoying it, it's the day you should stop going, isn't it? Really, like we're all we all like to win and do well and competitive, but ultimately you go fishing to enjoy yourself. You've got one um, starting next week at festival, haven't you? Yeah, Monday, Monday to Friday, it's our our autumn festival next week. So how many will you get um, fishing? So a lot of people nowadays, I mean, I, I don't know whether you'll see that drop at Lindon, but a lot of people start packing the gear away. They think that the fishing isn't what it should be, but that's not the case, is it? How many will be fishing and what will be the average weights, do you reckon, next we've, week? We've not got many on next week, but to be fair, it's fishing well. Like We've been on Laurels today and 100... What's Jim at? 100... Jim, I've seen it, yeah. Tim's had 123 pound, and there's a couple of 90s, 80s, 60s, and you know, like for winter fishing, for everyone's average, say 40, 50 pound a man is brilliant. Yeah, superb, superb. And I guess the only does it still fish through the ice? Um, it, there's always bites to be had through the ice, sort of like 30, 40 pound a win, everyone will catch 15, 20 pound, and mm. um. Yeah, you can't really argue with that. It's for me, it's always better through the ice when there's more people on because we can't just go hide somewhere. Yeah, yeah. If if it's a bit tight, there's a few more people on it. Sort of shoves the fish around a little bit. No, I think I think that's the thing, and I I get it. You know, some people just don't want to sit in the cold and they don't have to wear tons and tons of layers or whatever. But I I think you know you're missing out on anybody that's thinking of packing the gear away now. You're going to be missing out on some serious uh, sport on commercials like Lindholm. The rivers will now be absolutely coming into, as long as we don't start getting floods, obviously, they will really be coming into their own. So, yeah, those listening that think of packing the gear away, no chance, that is for sure. I think it's important just to adjust what you do accordingly. So, like, if you want to just go out of a nice busy day getting back, just go lose feed some maggots or, you know, on a commercial or go on a canal on a river, fish for some bites you know, tailor it to suit what you want rather than sort of just go into something that's convenient. Yeah, no, totally. Another one as well is, of course, let the let the fish tell you how they want it and don't just sort of think you can go and pile a load of bait in and like you, like you would do a month or two ago. So, um, yeah, no, 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 absolutely. I mean, the Rod and Bomb League's been popular, hasn't it? It's been going for a few years now, hasn't it? It's mid, is it on a Tuesday? Yeah, it's on a Tuesday. Um, yeah. Shimano back that the you know the match side of it the area one 
So that's good of them. They support that well. And I just think it's some, it's the beauty of the feet. Well, feeder fishing's boomed, hasn't it, across everything. So as a fishery, you've got to adapt to it because, you know, it's a, it's a big part of the market now. Um, and as well, it's something everyone can relate to, you know, whether you're 20 year old or you're 60 year old, Mm. Yeah, you can be competitive at it, which is important. Whereas, to an extent, sort of, it's a bit of a young, a younger generation's game at times. Into the F one fishing for two hundred fifty, three hundred pound. Yeah, it's a bit specialist. Whereas, the feeder fishing, you know, anyone, everyone can go buy a feeder, prepare the mix, and go out and compete. You don't pay okay. yeah. thousand quid on a pole or. I agree. Wow. You're right. You're not going to get some 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 old boy or girl who who wants to you know sit fishing 14 meters all day, 16 meters or whatever. And a, a rod and line is it, it's a bit of a leveler, I guess. Yeah, yeah. But also, it's I think the other thing that leads to its popularity is the right sort of methods at the right time of year. You know, it, it's a comfortable and productive way at fishing, but. It's at the time of year where that's what you want to be doing, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, you'd be you'd be inclined to fish that way anyway at that time of year. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, it's good. It's good. Well, let's um, think about then the future, if you like. You know, we've we've talked about how you've you started your fishing career and how you began at Lindholm, and we've spoke extensively there about you know the lakes, the development, the changes that you've seen. Um, little bit on future plans there as well a couple of as you say but the new lake at the back and whatnot but what about you individually what are your plans as we've said still a young guy um you've got one of these big finals under your belt um you're obviously enjoying as you've just said fishing your matches at your home venue if you want to call it that you don't mind a little dabble elsewhere but what are your plans fishing wise uh, moving forward and of course your relationship with drennan um I imagine that that will help you in develop into whatever you want to go into. Oh, Drennan's been fan- absolutely fantastic with from day one. Like we all we all went down to the factory and had a look around there, and to be honest, it's like astonishing what them lads do down. Oh, there. I said that, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but for me, going forward, fishing wise, obviously, um, like to win a festival. I think a festival would be a big thing. I'd I'd like to win the Lindon ones. Also, probably white acres. Yeah, I'd like to win a white acres one. Mm-hmm. Um, qualify for a part dean. That would be a nice one. I've been close a couple of times on that. Yeah, I was thirteenth last year and twelve got in. Then I was twenty fifth the year before and twenty four qualified. It's just you know that's a bit of a bug bit. That's one I want to put right. To be honest. Um, and other than that, just probably it's the usual thing. So the, the three big summers. Final, shall we say, Golden Reel, Fisho, Maver Match Race, mm-hmm. um, Daiwa Masters at Tunnel Barn. That'd be a nice one to to win, you know, to be consistent over them three days in that company. Yeah, that's a really strong field as well, isn't it? Oh, it's ridiculous. It's like yeah. you don't know whether you should be sat watching the lad next to you or, you know, trying to beat him. It's like I enjoy it because I, I like drawing next to them sort of people because you get that sort of feeling of where you're at. And you also take away from it. The the beauty of festivals is you get everyone from all over the country and then you can learn things from them. I don't know, they might learn a bit off you and, you know, all of a sudden you're pushing yourself, you're becoming better. 
And yeah. For me, that's a big thing in my life. Like, I'm 26 year old. Like, I'd like to think I've probably got another 10 years before I'm at my best, hopefully. You know, you see a lot of people start peaking mid to late 30s. No, oh, I'm past it then, mate. I'm knackered. <laughs> you might just be a late developer, you know. You might be one of them. So. Could be, yeah. <laughs> but, no, it's yeah. true. It's, it's, you know, one of the things as well is that um, why I like doing these, these podcasts is I speak to the young and the old, if you like, and the the older ones, if you if you want to call, you know, Tommies of this world or whatever, um, veterans, that's the good word. You just fish for the veterans. Um, and even I'll, I can tell the listeners now, the next guest for the next episode will be another veteran, um, and that will be Mark Pollard. Now, these anglers are still relevant, and that's what I think you know i'm i'm in awe of it's that when you fish for so long mark pollard tommy pickering were you know top names when i was a kid going back 25 30 years ago so to stay relevant to still be developing tackle to still be you know mood with the times with the social media and all the rest of it um is it's more power to them really so i think you've got a lot more than 10 years before you potentially you peak you know i don't yeah, think you ever stop do you so it's, it's massive isn't it in fishing like you can't buy experience no you can't buy what they've they've gone out seen it done it worn the t-shirt and then gone and done it again like you you've can't. got um, that barnsley team as well or you know a lot of john allerton's of this world that, that come to lindholm and that you know that seeing these types of guys that have done it way before commercials and have adapted to commercials as well is a real strong thing, you know, um, winkling two pounder roach out on the stainy or whatever, it puts them in good stead for these commercials years down the line. So yeah, you have been in some, some really good company. I'm sure, you know, 10, 20, 30 years, you still be relevant is the word that I can think of. Hopefully, hopefully, mate. As long as COVID doesn't get us, we might be all right. I think we'll, yeah, I think exactly. As long as you, as long as you double jabbed, I think you'll be right. Um, I had a question actually. Uh, one of my little list here. I'm all over the shop with these questions on there. <laughs> it's, it's probably because it's because I know the venue. That if, if I'd never been to to Lindon before, I would have been a lot more structured. Yeah, but hopefully these listeners tangent, don't you? Yeah, exactly. I'm sure the listeners, the majority of these listeners will know the venue very well anyway, but it's actually about, you know, this, you just spoke about Drennan. Um, I know you get the sponsorship and all that, so you got a lot of support from, but do you have any um, input in, in like development? I know you get to test stuff before it's it's, it's um, launched, but you know, if they were going to bring out a new poll, do you get to brief in what you would like and all the rest of it? Um, I speak to him a lot and, you know, he might ask an opinion and things, but not so much officially. That's, you know, like you've got probably the best angler that's ever lived. Yeah. Know, heading up the design and the testing process. So what Alan's done, like he, he deserves to be at the forefront of all that kind of thing. Um, but as well, again, Peter and, you know, the, when you've been and you see the engineering process, you know, and the design that we put into, say, designing a pole float, mm. like the level of detail they go into it is incredible. Okay, well, do you know what? I've exhausted my questions, but, and we touched upon it a little bit um, earlier on about the tips for the venue, but if you were to give one top tip to the listeners 
and it doesn't even have to be fishing related <laughs> if you want to be uh, go down that road what would it be for Lindome or just in in general? In life, Alex. In life. Don't even have to be fishing. Don't be scared to ask questions. Go go if someone's doing something better than you or they're beating you or whatever, go and ask and you know, like in the fishing world, in what we do, everyone's you know, everyone's been that person like I've been that person, whoever's been that, I'm probably still, I'm that person, I probably do everyone's, I didn't ask him a million questions, but that's the only way you learn, like, and as well, if you can, and if you get the opportunity, go and watch, like, what i found, especially since I've started coaching and what I see a lot more, I might, you know, you might sit with someone and say, right, I want you to lay your rig in and feed your bait like this, and blah, blah, blah. And then they'll do that, and the way they interpret that's completely different. Whereas if mm. I get on the box and physically show them it, um, what they can take away can be completely different. So if you can, go and watch, because people can spin you a story when you're watching it for, for your own, for yourself. And also, if, you, if you're unable to do that, ask people questions, you know. Why have you done that? What, what made you fish that line there? What made you use that rig? And put that into your own fishing. Don't copy people, but try use that for yourself. For like, you're never going to beat someone um, doing exactly what they do. But if you can mold that into your own fishing and take yourself forward, it'll always help you progress. Fantastic tips. No, totally agree. And it's funny, you know, when you say about. Um because the, the way that people learn obviously people learn in different ways and and whether it be a doing or whether it be watching visually and, and it's how things can be misinterpreted and i think about the asking questions is that there is a perception and it might be that because you know a lot of people perhaps like club club angler level maybe you do have that one or two you know, top angler in a club who keeps things under the hat, if you like. But I think in general, on an open scene, it's certainly on a festival. I know all the festivals I've fished in the past is that you will be there in the bar of an evening. And if you ask somebody who fished the peg that you've drawn tomorrow, nine and a half times out of 10, they will tell you and they'll tell you correctly and they will share their experiences. So I think people may be put off a little bit because you've got one or two secretive people perhaps in their club or they fish within the past. Yeah. But I, I, in general, I'm with you. I think if you ask, you'll be surprised at how many people will give you the answer. And if you're in a festival and, and in a bar and they're not telling you, can just buy them a couple of beers until they do, can't you? <laughs> yeah, get them a dodgy pint if they don't say anything and then the next day they'll be on the on the cars the whole day. <laughs> <laughs> but, but no, as well, um, one thing I see a lot, like especially with the shop where you get, oh, is that, I don't know, Tommy Pickering over there or Alan Scott or and he's like, yeah, he goes up. Oh, Oh, I don't go ask him. I said, well, oh, right. on, do, just come and speak to him. Like a lot, um, a lot of people's jobs within sort of their roles as sponsored angler is to be helpful. Like if they can show you how to use, I don't know, whatever product from whichever company and catch more mm. fish on it. That, yeah. You know, that for me, that'd be part of my role as a sponsored angler. Mm-hmm. Um, so just because you see you've seen him in the magazine or whichever you know everyone's normal people everyone's got a job everyone you know they've not got two heads they're not they're not they just happen to be able to catch yeah. a few more fish than other people yeah, yeah they're just normal people that catch fish mm. 
Yeah, no, no, good tips. I like it. And, and I think you're right. I think some people would be a wee bit scared to approach or to, to ask those questions. And the thing is, there's that much stuff online now and social media is that um, you might think, oh, well, I've seen, seen the video that he did. So, you know, it's in my head. Well, if he stood there, <laughs> go and ask him what he meant by that and what the thought process is. That's the one thing you don't get from videos. Yeah, is, videos um, are brilliant. It's, it's the fine detail. So it's like, yeah. right, when, vi- when this happens, feed X amount or, oh, do you see, I've, you know, I've just had a little indication of the flow. It was a fish sat in my peg, so I need to, lay, say, lay my rig in again or they're starting to come off bottom. You it, it you can't show that on a video because it you know it, it'll change every single cast well actually that's a nice way to end we can finish on your coaching and because i know you started you was doing your videos um and i know you started a little channel up on bits and pieces and it was all linking together and whatnot how did you find the videos because it, it's hard on your own isn't it it's you you might only be fishing for like an hour and a half, but you find by the time you've been fanning around with your cameras and doing your bits and pieces, you're actually probably only getting 50 minutes fishing in. I quite, I quite enjoyed doing them, to be honest. It was like, yeah, yeah. that was like a little bit of a relief for me. Like I just got to go fishing for a day and talk about fishing. You know, you don't have to stress about a match result or, or anything like that. It was just a nice little way of doing an informative yeah. video, what I sort of kicked along with doing through the lockdowns. Yeah, um, yeah, it's, it's uh, they were good as well. It's because it, it's what it's real time, you know. That's what I think one of them he was on, like you know, the end of the spit on Bonsai and um, at 69 or whatever it was. It's like I've never drawn that peg, I wonder how he's gonna do it. And it, you know, it was it brought things to life, yeah. Um, yeah, a brilliant way of getting information across, but also you can read into things so, like, not. Just say this is a grab bait, mate, and this is this, and this is the hook. But where's he cast? Why is he cast there? Why is he dropped short of the island? Why is he now clucking tight to the grass? You know, and you can try convey that sort of information across. Mm. Um, obviously, I was learning as I was doing them because, like, in terms of anything else, you know, it's not easy, mate. Honestly, yeah, I'm really? I'm without like that. So it took me a bit of getting my head around. You know, you're ready to launch a camera into the middle of a lake and things, but <laughs> once you get your head around it, it's it's quite simple when you understand what sh- what footage you need to create the video. Mm. But when you look at like Rich Chapman and them lads, like some of the stuff they put out, you get your hats off to them because that must take some effort to get to that standard. But what about the um? Look, we'll finish on this nice way. So, um, coaching Lindholm Lakes, you are the resident coach. So, how do we go about getting you booked up? What so do we either, do? Um, drop me a message on Facebook, either on my page, Alex Dossie Anglin, or my personal one. Um, ring the shop at Lindholm, and Aaron will probably. You know, take his commission off of it or something. <laughs> He'd charge an extra ten, yeah. Um, or give me a ring on my mobile or through my email address, which is I think it's all on the picture that you use for the video, isn't it? Yeah, it was on the first. Um, yeah, on the, so on the Facebook page. So it's all on there without wanting to sound, you know, like too much of an advert. But if there's anything you want to know, or, or even if you just come up to the fishery, or you're after some tackle from the shop, anything like that, just get in touch. Well, that's a good point, actually, because you guys sell a lot of gear. So, you know, um, stock levels up and down. So if you're going to come yeah, in well, for Yeah, we've just had a lot of stuff land back in, a lot of Preston, Matrix, Drennan, all the new Drennan luggage. That's nice. That's going well. Mm. Um, yes. All yes. that stuff's landing again. So, you know, hopefully for the foreseeable, we're quite stocked up and ready to go. 
And there we go. So perfect. So if you fancy booking yourselves a session at Lindon with Alex, is there a specific time that you do it? Is it certain days? Or? Midweek, generally, Tuesday, Wednesdays, Thursdays, um, to whatever time frame to suit you. If you want a couple of hours, half a day, a full day, whichever. You know, I get some lads and it's like, right, I just, I struggle with my casting. I just have a couple of hours with you. Mm. Just casting a feeder so I can improve my accuracy on a feeder. Yeah. Whereas you might go out with some people, it's like, right, I want to fish pellet wagon a bomb and then some edge fish. So that's going to take a bit longer. Mm-hmm. So just try to be flexible with it. You know, it's obviously I'm, you're there to earn your wage or anything, but you're not there to rip people off the money. You know, if if someone wants to just learn to chuck a feeder, you're not going to say, oh, you need a full day. Like, you know, hopefully within an hour or two, just casting a feeder, you'd like to think you can make a difference to one's fishing. Oh, fantastic good stuff well that's how you can go ahead and uh, and book alex at lindom as well so great chat alex thank you so much for joining me i know it's uh take a bit of your time out of your own and and for everybody that joins me on these chats a big thank you and uh, i hope to catch up with you very very soon so thanks a lot no problem mate hopefully we'll then um, see you down the lake soon for all your fishing needs be sure to check out fishing evolution Boasting two floors of branded displays, visit our recently expanded superstore at Hadley Road in Sleaford, where we offer a huge range of tackle from all of the leading course and cart brands, such as Nash, Fox, Corda, Drennan, Preston, Guru, Daiwa, and many, many more. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram, where we share all of the latest news and updates about products available in store. Well, let's have a little rummage around in the metaphorical tackle shed. And there's actually been loads and loads of stuff going on in the tackle world since our last podcast. And and it's ironic because I think on the last episode I said, oh, you know, um, there's not a lot to, to get stuck into. And, and, and this time around, it's completely, completely different. And I think I'll kick off um, scanning around online. So social media wise, I think, first of all, Preston Innovation did a great job of their uh, launching their new kit that's going into winter and continuing into 2022. I thought it was very, very good that they streamed live through Facebook and, and other mediums um, at their uh, their road show, at their trade show, if you like. Um, you had obviously all the top guys were there demonstrating some of the kit and, and talking it through in a live capacity um, and also pre-recorded for later on. So it was very, very good the way that they did that. And Speaking of which, how much weight has Des Ship lost, by the way? I mean, hes uh, I know he had a, a bit of a health scare and, well, he's like a new man now. And he was on hand to talk you through some of the range. And as I look through, um, and, and it's in a couple of the magazines as well, but I'm just, as I'm talking on the um, Facebook page of Preston's, and it's just, it's nonstop, some of the stuff coming out. So apart from the, the big items, which we'll discuss in a second, the range of poles, which is called the Superium range, and um, lots and lots of other stuff. There's several lines of clothing that they've released. Um, so their new suit, which is called, I will find it, DFX range. So pretty similar to similar in design to the, the previous range, um, use of the DF20s, etc. Um, but looks to be a more modern material and more potentially lightweight as well. And on the back of that, of course, going into winter, uh, they've got the winter essentials such as windproof fleece, soft shell jackets, neck warmers, Celsius range, etc. So clothing, all the boxes have been ticked. Um, new pole foot range called the natural range. 
Um, I can see there there's, there's a numerous shapes in the same similar design to those that they ship commer commercial range. So plenty to go out there and um, landing nets. Uh, just it's just like nonstop, really, how much stuff they've come out with, which is obviously great for them. And so take a look at the Preston range um, stuff that they've putting together if it's not in the tackle shops now then i'm pretty sure they soon will be and on my local shop at fishing evolution uh, the clothing range has started to build up now and i'm sure the rest of the stuff won't be far behind too um in terms of the poles etc etc so preston definitely caught my eye big tick in the box of them i thought it was a, it was a great little launch that they did um utilizing social media also Next up, if you are in the market for a new seat box, um, I didn't expect MAP to be launching anything at this time of the year. But my understanding is that this is a range of boxes that should have been out earlier on this year um, for whatever reason, supply chain issues or boats stuck in canals. Who knows? Um, they've done the Z30 and 36 um, Elite boxes, Mark II versions. So nice light powder coated frame on the um on the elite mark ii box on the z36 should i say there's two new h frame versions as well so the h30 and the h36 so that more canal style or for those that like to travel a wee bit lighter prices for the h30 light starts about 380 rrp and i think the retail price on the map z36 elite let me just find mark 2 about 650 very very similar to the previous to the mark 1 version but when you look at some of the reviews online uh, and it hasn't gone out there with huge fanfare perhaps because it's a wee bit late um yeah there's a few unique differences um on these boxes so could be something that you're in for the market but Boxes seem to have come all at once with the, the Daiwa range, the new Guru one earlier on in the year. Um, now we've got our new map ones, the latest Matrix versions. So there's a lot of seat boxes of choice out there. You know, for me, I've been thinking about this. I'm, I am always debating a, a new seat box. I just need to give mine a good wash. Um, but I like, and I would be tempted if, if a company come out with something similar, is that old school deep base with the drawers and the the um and the side drawers on the top like an old asi that style um i had a, a daiwa 150 a few years ago it didn't really work out for me which is that sort of style because it was quite a, a small profile i found the seat was quite small and i'm not a big guy and uh, you know my backside was hanging over the edge so anybody bigger than me would have really struggled so <laughs> that wasn't the one for me um, but nobody really makes anything like there was a browning one that was out a couple of years ago that may have ticked a few boxes. I always remember years ago, Daiwa did a boss box and it's that style that I'm, you know, really interested in, but yeah, it's, it's all about Z frames and sort of welded frames nowadays that just, there's no call for that style. I'm just more of a traditionalist, I guess. Anyway, so that's seat boxes. Uh, the map one may catch your eye um, if you're in the market for a new high-end seat box. Um, moving on to the magazines then. So that's a little bit social media out of the way and, and stuff that I've seen online into Improve Your Course Fishing because they do a good review of these Preston poles that I've just touched upon. So it's, it's called the Superium range. And let me just find the correct page. There are... 
Um, there's a mixture actually of, of sort of all round poles, if you want to call it that, and carp ones and margin ones. So the range, it starts with the X10, the Superium X10, which is a 30 meter, RRP of 5699, um, sorry, 569.99, all the way up to the top of the range, which is the Superium X90, which retails about three grand. And in between that, you've got sandwiched as a margin pole, um, a carp pole, 16 meters. But I think the one that catches my eye for a price point, and I think will be the best seller, is the X50. So 16 meters, RRP of 134999. And this is going to come in that mark where I guess it's going to be your club anglers up to occasional open anglers and, and probably more selling in more volume. Around that sort of, let's try and have a think, that map 501 range or a, a matrix um, number three pole, Gabalino UK three, around those sort of price points. So one three. Uh, for me, I look at this packages, I don't believe to be that competitive compared to some of these other um, ones. If I think to uh, so be something like a Daiwa G90, it'd be a similar price point as well. You get two match to uh, two match top kits two f1 kits and four carp kits so eight kits in total but in reality and um, those two match kits you know unless you're a fishing naturals quite a bit they sometimes commercial anglers don't string them through so in reality it's probably six match six kits which i don't think is a massive package but Hey-ho, the price point looks good, and Tony gives it a really good review as well. He tested the he tested the X10, and then he sort of moved up to the X30. Um, oh, use the X20 as well, and then obviously went up to the to the high end as well. So he's tried different ones, um, fishing for silvers as well. So it looks like he can do a bit of everything, which is great. Good all-round pole. Match fishing. Let's have a look what we've got here. Um, new tackle is not a great deal in here. What you find with match fishing is um, a lot of the products are covered, if you notice, within the features. So in general, the sponsored angler that's doing the feature will focus on certain new baits, perhaps, or some new floats that are out. Or um, I know, so as an example, um, I didn't cover this in the press pack, but there's a, an article there called Rewriting the Scripts. Graham West fishing on St. Albans Lake, fishing a feeder for skimmers. Um, you know, and he sat in one of those Preston feeder chairs, which have recently been launched. So it's perfect product placement. Um, would he normally fish with one of those seats? Um, certainly probably not on a match. Maybe he does. I don't know. Maybe he's trying to demonstrate that actually... This is a perfect tool for feeder fishing um, during a competition. I don't know, but it's perfect product placement. So there's a lot of that in match fishing. So the actual tackle section itself um, is pretty remote. You know, there's a small section which says new gear. Well, but what I did find, though, um, which is almost a feature of its own in the feeder section, it's just as commercial success. But it's actually our old friend there, Sean Little, uh, looks like he's putting through some matrix rods through their paces um ethos xrc feeder rods from matrix um been designed for commercial fishing three lengths 9 10 11 foot very clear markings as to what their casting weights are 40 50 60 grams uh, just a nice piece of kit and that mid-range price point so the nine foot 130 10 foot 140 11 foot 160 so 
what they've done there is it's almost an article in itself testing these rods or, or promoting the rods, I guess. But they look look spot on. Um, some good kit, I think, Matrix coming out. I did point out the other week about their new luggage. I've not had chance to get my hands on it just yet, but um, I'm sure I will do soon. Now, under the new gear section, um, do you know what I like? I was tempted to buy this when I first come across it but it was a little bit out of the price range. It's the Browning Sphere luggage. Looks very, very well made. And what they've done um, in this new kit section, if they've launched a new uh, net and tray carrier, um, I mean, it's 70 quid just for this on its own. I'm not too sure that it will hold more than two, three metre nets. I'm sure it will hold three, two metre, two and a half metre nets, but it looks quite thin. Uh, dimensions... Um, depth 23 centimeters. Mm, yeah, I'm not convinced that will hold more than two, two keep nets, but it looks the packs, it looks all white clean, really smart in black and blue. I was always tempted to almost tempted to get the um, that luggage in the past, but yeah, they've launched that new piece. Uh, the Preston's kit I was talking before about the clothing, so it's highlighted the fleece jacket, the hoodie, etc. And finally, uh, a review which I find I found a little bit bizarre. To be fair, the kit looks great. I mean, and the review is is very very complimentary. And um, so it's Tom Scully. He's on the River Trent at Burton Joyce. I think he was practicing at the time for uh, the Riverfast final, and he's checking out or testing out, should I say, a new rod by Colmic called the Extima Float Rod. And again, as I say, he's very complimentary. It's a two-page article, two-page feature on using this rod. Um, it talks about how it works, fishing a stick float, etc., etc. talks about casting weights. All great stuff. Lovely. Where can I get it? Doesn't tell you. How much is it? It doesn't tell you. So a little bit of a strange um, review in that, okay, Tom Scully said it's great. Well, fine but nothing about when it's released, where to get it from. I'm sure every comic distributor will have it, um, but no price. So yeah, that was the uh, the last bit of tackle that I spied in Match Fishing Magazine. But that's about it for the Tackle Shed, and that is it for the show for this episode. Hopefully you enjoyed the big chat with Alex. He's a great lad, and if you are heading your way to Lindholm um, over the next few months or even next summer, you might have a break planned there, then uh, yeah, absolutely pop in, see Alex and uh, maybe book yourself up a coaching session as well and he'll put you right, that's for sure. And if you've not been to Lindholm, then what's stopping you? It certainly is, in my opinion, one of the premier match fishing venues and in general, you know, holiday venues to combine with fishing in the UK. It's got everything that you need. It's a fantastic tackle shop. It's got a brilliant restaurant with a pub on site there as well. And the accommodation, well, some of those lodges, what more do you want? Overlooking some of the beautiful lakes, watching the sunset in a hot tub um, just after you've had a day's fishing. So yeah, get yourself to Lindome Lakes as well. So thanks for listening. And I look forward to speaking to you all again on the next episode. (music) 